Good morning. Happy Sunday. It's 2 p.m. It's morning somewhere. This is PFG Live. Welcome aboard. Uh, Dan in Brooklyn says, <laughs> just one ping, Vasily. One ping only. Tucker is here. Welcome, sir. Let's see. Our Discord crew consists of DBX, which is Dan, Tuck's Garage, Jay Palin, Unix Carbide, and my neighbor to the north, Warren Jones. Welcome aboard, guys. Thank you for uh, discording in. We have uh, we have a weather a visual weather report from Rockland County, New York, up on the screen. Warren reports Sutton, New Hampshire, at sixty four, overcast, winds east at five miles an hour, dew point fifty three Fahrenheit. Tux Garage is here. Let's see, where's your weather? Practical Renaissance. Welcome aboard, sir. Nice to see you. Rob Renz is with us. Welcome, sir. He reports that somewhere in Pennsylvania it is raining. Unix Carbide, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's uh, It says minus 65F, but I think you mean 65F. <laughs> 94% relative humidity. New York Machinist is here. 60 degrees and raining in the Finger Lakes. A good day to run parts in the shop. Almost machining, almost machining is here out in the Arizona, 89 degrees and sunny, which is quite a respite from usual. CJ Stevens, welcome aboard, sir. 79 and clear, 40% relative humidity in the east of Tennessee. Practical Renaissance says 77 and sunny in Kansas City, Missouri. And Machine NZ, clocks have changed and you're at work. Well, thanks for checking in, bud. I appreciate that. Um, when do you guys change your clocks? That's pretty funky. I can't keep track. Evils is here. Welcome, sir, from across the pond. 22 centigrade, 55% in Ghent, Belgium. Welcome, sir. Nice to see you. Well, uh, been a fun week. Oh, I got to give my report. Sorry. Here in... Uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, winds are 060 at 7 knots, visibility 10 miles, broken at 2,000, overcast at 4,900, temperature 17, dew point 12, altimeter 3016. Um, oh, you guys changed clocks yesterday. So don't ask me when we change clocks. I have no idea. So uh, let's see. Tuck's Garage is reporting 64 degrees Fahrenheit, 71% humidity in Buffalo, New York. That's almost, that's borderline sticky in Buffalo, 71%. Well, um, welcome. Here it's, uh, it's a quiet Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, my wife is on an airplane uh, somewhere between here and California so my son and I are, uh, are roughing it, and uh, we have enough food in the house for a small army. Otherwise, we're doing fine. Uh, this week has been very interesting. Uh, I worked really hard on the sensor that I'm, I've been working on. You guys are probably sick of it by now. But it led to me experimenting with the uh, Adafruit feather boards, one in particular, which I'm rather fond of. We'll get into that. 
and I actually had to do software this week. I cannot tell you the last time I wrote code, but it's been a while. I bet you it's been, oh gosh, I think it's been 20 years, but, um, we wrote and code we wrote and code we got working and it was pretty fun. So if you guys have not familiarized yourselves with the Adafruit offerings, uh, strongly recommended. It is pretty neat. So we'll get into that and we'll show you the successes, um, and where we're heading with this. Uh, I had a really nice lunch with a fellow nerd, um, uh, my friend Doug, and we talked about sensors and we talked about wireless and we talked about possibilities. You know, one of the things that, that Doug brought up, and this is sort of the direction we're heading in, is that you've got 20 containers that are sealed up with desiccant. You're trying to keep things dry and you sort of, you need a way to monitor everything uh, rather than running around opening it up and looking at the, at the desiccant color because that is sort of counterproductive. <laughs> When you you keep opening this container, you're trying to keep dry. So uh, that's sort of the the vision. The vision is ultimately we end up with a thing that we could throw in each of these containers and then go to our uh, control panel, our dashboard, and know what's going on in the world. And ultimately, what I want to do is not only have that for uh, relative humidity, um, of course, temperature comes along for free, but then there's other stuff like I want to measure the voltage on all these batteries that are doing things. I want to measure vibration on my generator. I want to measure um, temperatures on my generator. In other words, not just ambient temperature, but I want to have some probes. So once we once we achieve uh, the basic functionality, we're, and we're very close, I think. I think we we knocked off like three to four major goals this week. Um, so we're getting we're getting mighty close, and we'll talk about what's left. But we'll be able to do this and do this on a budget, and not spend a ridiculous amount of money for this this sort of stuff. So that's what we'll be talking about. That's what we uh, achieved this week in the shop. Uh, in PFG land, we got, um, a pile of orders, uh, that we're trying to get out the door. Uh, four inch rectangular stones are currently downstairs under my seat right now. You can't see them, <laughs> but they're ready to go. So that's today's project. As soon as we sign off, I will be on uh, four inch rectangular stones. Um, and, uh, uh, balancing rings are, are, are heading out the door, although I haven't I haven't gotten my balancing video uh, together yet, but we're, we're getting closer. Yes, Robin, I know. <laughs> Little telepathy going here. I got it. So um, anyway, that's what's going on. So let's, let's get into this. And if you are uh, joining us uh, from the podcast, if you're listening to this as a podcast, which obviously is not in real time, welcome. Your feedback is welcome, uh, and we would appreciate if you, in fact, subscribed on the YouTube channel, even though you're a podcast user, that helps, uh, helps us figure out what the numbers are. So if you've been following on, uh, on Instagram, 
which is mostly where I post, you would have seen this little blivet. So this is my uh, Adafruit feather on the little stand that I developed. Um, and I'll tell you the story about the stand. We might as well start with that. So Adafruit published a stand for the feather for experimentation, uh, which would be represented by the front part of this. Okay, this this front this front piece, and it was a one piece thing. Except they they didn't include the standoffs. You had to go buy standoffs. Well, these, you know, I'm like, hey, that's easy. We we know about hardware, so. It turns out that that there's two different size screws on this thing, okay? Let me point these out. Uh, you have, you have uh, 2.5 millimeter socket head cap screws and you have 2.0 millimeter socket head cap, cap screws or, or M2.5 and M2.0. And okay, fine. That was how they designed their circuit board. Well, go try to buy standoffs for for those sizes and you find out that one of them is pretty findable and it's a little expensive and the other one is like really hard to find i think the small one the m2 uh, was really hard to find and i said we're gonna print them so the next thing i did is i printed the standoffs and it turns out i had to make them conical because where it hits the circuit board, there's not much clearance. So it needed to be really thin. And then I wanted it to, to uh, grow to a beefier size. So the, the standoffs that I made, which were just standoffs, um, were ended up being conical, which was pretty cool. And I made these little standoffs and they worked. And that was the original stand that I made based on the Adafruit design. So... That went for a while, and then I realized that I had a little stand for the feather, but the battery was just flopping around on my desk. So I designed this uh, battery slot at the back of the stand just to give the battery a place to be. And then the space between the uh, slanted part of the of this bracket and the and the battery slot turned into a place for the for the uh, sensor to sit. And you can see that on your screen. So that worked out really well. And then when I started designing it, I realized actually the standoffs needed to be printed uh, as part of uh, as part of the uh, the stand. So I ended up making it a two piece design. So it prints really nicely, and then you just have one glue joint, and I can't show it to you, but there's three uh, little conical holes and conical pins which locate. So you just run a little bead of, of cyanoacrylate, stick the two things together, they self-align, you hold it there for 30 seconds, and you're done. So that's the, that's the little stand that I designed, and it came out really nice. I immediately made a second one. So we have two of these kicking around. And uh, that has been sort of the development station. Now, the thing I love about this thing is that the feather itself has a, has a screen on it, right? It has this, uh, they call it a reverse TFT. So it's a TFT, uh, but it's on the back of the board. Plus there's three buttons, okay? So that, 
that's one thing it comes with. It comes with a display. It comes with three uh, input buttons and a reset button. Also, it, it turns out that this featherboard has a real-time clock built in. And that comes into play uh, later. It, it turns out it's actually pretty important. Uh, it also has built-in battery uh, conditioning, battery management. So you take one of their lithium phosphate batteries, LiPo batteries, and these are, I think I started with a 1500 milliamp hour, and then I, I they had a 2000, I ordered a 2000. They look really similar. Um, and they it comes with a little plug, and it plugs right into the connector on the board. Um, and on board is a chip that does charging, battery monitoring, you know, health monitoring and everything, which is really cool. Um, you know, for a while I was looking at some of these really teeny weeny boards. In fact, I've got one right here. I think I showed this on a previous, uh, live. That's the QT Pi, um, and a sensor. But the cutie pie is missing a lot of these things that we're talking about. And it's small, but it really does not help us very much. So the, uh, the feather board, by the way, the feather that we're talking about is called the ESP32-S3. By the way, that's the processor. Reverse TFT feather. So if you go to the Adafruit site and you're looking for what we're talking about, that's what we're talking about. So now we have this battery management built in, super good. The other thing is that the processor comes on a little board, which is in turn mounted on the feather board, and that processor has Wi-Fi built in. Oh, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Unix just put the uh, picture up on the screen. How very helpful. You are now the master of graphics. So that's what it looks like. So also, if you look at the at that picture, you can see that it has a USB-C connector. So you could power this thing and charge the battery from the USB-C connector. It's So if you have a battery plugged into it, you just jam a, a charger cord into the USB-C, it will now power the unit and start charging the battery. The USB-C connector is also how you connect to the USB on your computer and it becomes the connection to your computer and the whole thing shows up as a drive, as a disk drive. Uh, yeah, New York Machinist correctly points out that they're out of stock and you blame this podcast. Sir, I am guilty. <laughs> I, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. You're absolutely correct. They are out of stock. Uh, make sure to put your email address in on the Adafruit site and they'll tell you when they're in stock. I too am out of, out of personal stock. So, uh, when they become available, I'll, I'll throw a few more in my box. My Adafruit inventory is, is a, a little plastic container from Plano Right. So I have, you know, my little blivets. It's not like it takes up a lot of space, but it definitely needs to be replenished. Um, so what else is on this board? I mean, it is, it is stunning, uh, how much, how many goodies they squoze onto this board. So when you plug it into that USB-C after all the configuring, which 
I think is beyond the scope of today's podcast, but um, it pops up on your computer as, as a, uh, it looks like a USB drive. And if you just drag your code onto the USB drive and name it the right thing, thank you DBX, and you name it the right thing, it just starts running. Uh, so a DBX is, is pointing out correctly that it has Wi-Fi built in. I was heading in that direction before and got derailed. So it's got Wi-Fi built in and it's got Bluetooth built in. Um, I don't have too much interest in the Bluetooth at the moment, um, but the Wi-Fi is very important. So as part of the work that I did this week, I was able to learn how to and get this thing on the network which allows it to send notifications. Now, thank you very much, Dan DBX. He taught me about um, a site with open source software and, and free resources for the small guys called notify.sh. That's N-T-F-Y, November Tango Foxtrot Yankee.sh, Sierra Hotel. So notify.sh is a service where if your little device sends a message, you know, formatted appropriately, it will then send out a notification to all the devices subscribed to that. And they, they use the term topic to that topic. So if you guys were really interested in following my two, uh, you know, sensors, <laughs> You can get notifications from my software, and that's what we're doing. So if I go to my phone, I will show you this because it's like cooler than should be legal. And I go over to my Notify app, which should be open. There it is. I have a bunch of notifications. I'm going to show this on the screen. Okay, and there's my notifications from my sensors. Now, this could be on your screen of your phone. This could be on your computer. Um, and the last notification was seven minutes ago. So what else is on that thing that we haven't talked about? Um, I don't believe there's onboard temperature or any other uh, sensors on the, on the feather itself. But most importantly, see now, now Unix, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on you. Can you come up with a photo of the uh, of the other side of the board, which is technically the top? This is technically the bottom. That's why they call it reverse. It has a connector on it. Well, it has a couple of connectors. One connector is the battery connector, which is a standard that Adafruit established. And then the other connector is the uh, I2C bus. So what's the I squared C bus? There we go. Thank you very much. So if you look at the picture now on your screen, uh, let me uh, let me walk you through a couple of, of the features. In the upper in the far left side of the board, you see the metallic connector just poking off the edge of the board. That's USB C. Just above it and to the right is a connector, plastic connector. That's the battery. And then dead center on the board is another connector pointing uh, orthogonal to the board, coming right off the board. That's a connector for the I squared C bus, 
that they call Stemma QT. Okay, so it's a four pin connector and it implements the I squared C bus. So what the heck is the I squared C bus? The I squared C bus is a, is a, is a parallel bus. That's like a set of wires. It's like if you wire a house, right? You're, you're running power everywhere. And then all these outlets are tapping off of the power. It's the same thing. You run these wires and then sensors or other devices of many kinds can hang off of the bus and they all have addresses. And I think the, um, I think the little temperature, uh, the temperature humidity sensors that we have been playing with, let me just grab one here. So this is the, this is the little sensor that we've been playing with the SHT 45. And if you turn it over, Adafruit has, uh, has wisely put the address right on the back. It's I squared C address 44. The zero X means it's a hexadecimal number. So when you hang that on the, on the bus and you write some software, your software is going to be saying, Hey, device number 44, please give me the temperature and the relative humidity. And that's how it works. But you can daisy chain them. So you could have a relative humidity sensor and a microphone and maybe another little display and all this other stuff. And they all have different addresses. And they're all hanging off of this bus called I squared C or Stemma QT in the Adafruit world. It's the same thing. Uh, Unix Carbide correctly points out that 128 devices maximum on an I squared C bus. Believe me, if you have 128 devices on one of these feather boards, you are making it work. So uh, continuing on our on our photo, uh, to the right of the Stemma QT connector, you there's nothing too exciting. Actually, there's a couple of LEDs on the board. One of them that uh, Adafruit is quite proud of is called the NeoPixel, which is like a little teeny itty bitty LED that you can control the color of and you can do some fun things with, but it's really small. And then to the right of it is this big metal can uh, which is the processor. Now sticking out of the big metal can to the right and slightly off the edge of the board is the Wi-Fi antenna. So they're, they're, they have a canonical antenna that is basically a quarter wave, uh, meander line loaded quarter wave antenna that is impedance matched by tapping it from, you don't want the full lecture, do you? But anyway, that's the Wi-Fi antenna. It is completely adequate. <laughs> that's what I can say about it. And to the right of that is a quarter. Thank you very much. You didn't have to pay. You didn't have to pay. This is a free podcast. But I appreciate the tip. So that's what the board looks like. And um, and it's it's slicker than snot. It, this thing is is just awesome. Now, the top and bottom of the board, as pictured on your screen, has a whole bunch of pins that are more I.O. to the processor. So you have analog input-output pins, you have digital input-output pins, um, and you could do all sorts of stuff out of those pins. An exercise for the future. So that's what we've been playing with. Now, and this is a bit of a recap from last week, 
But Adafruit has this program called uh, Whippersnapper, which if you just want an appliance and you don't want to do any programming, you could take that board, you could dump Whippersnapper onto it, not not very complicated, and then you 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 edit one file on the board to give it your Adafruit credentials and your Wi-Fi network credentials and you're done. So this thing logs, gets on the Wi-Fi, logs into Adafruit and says, hey, this is, this is the device I am. These are the sensors I have. And then you go to the website on your computer and you say, yeah, that's, see that sensor? I want to take that relative humidity and make a graph out of it. I want to make a gauge out of it. I want to get an email from you every time this parameter goes over that. So that's called uh, Adafruit IO. And that's just, they, they created that. And if you have two devices, it's free. Okay. Or, you know, two processors, two feather boards, and you could make this really, they call it a, um, a dashboard. You could make a dashboard of all these things and graphs and also all sorts of wonderful information. And you could also make the, your dashboard public if you want. So other people can look at your dashboard, etc. However, we wanted to make something where we had, it was a little less overhead and we, we had the control. So the notify function, which, which uh, DBX turned me on to, allows you to sit with a little teeny line of code in written in Python, send your data to notify and it publishes to the notify server and you can do stuff with it. And it turns out that notify ntfy.sh again has a free service and then they have some paid services, not expensive, but you can get 250 notifications per day. Um, that's one of the limitations and it's free. But if you go over that, you got to start paying. So for five bucks a month, you get 2,500 notifications and other things start happening. Pretty cool. So we wrote code, uh, and, and got everything working. So if you've never written a line of code in your life and you want to start learning Python, First of all, it's a good idea. It's pretty cool. And, you know, all the cool kids are doing it, so there's lots of resources. Um, they have a an editor that you could run on Windows or Mac called Mu, M-U. And you, you plug your USB uh, cable in from your Feather to your computer. You fire up M-U, and basically it says, hey, I see your featherboard and boom, you, you could start writing code in the editor and then you hit a button that says save and it pushes it right to the featherboard. Featherboard reloads that software and starts running. Pretty simple. But wait, there's more. You click another button. Well, why don't I just show you? Hang on. Let me just show you. If you're watching on the video, there it is. Okay. So this is a live screen of Mew running. And in the upper part of the screen is the code that is actually 
resident on the feather. And on the bottom of the screen is the output of what we call the console. Okay, this is the this is the serial information coming back down the USB uh, cable, which is super useful for watching how your your software is running. So every time you execute a print statement, it prints to the console, and you'll see it on this screen. So as you're developing stuff, it, it's huge. So if you look at my screen, you see I, I've made it print out time information as it's getting it from the internet. I have it printing out um, its real-time clock information. Uh, and then, of course, it's printing out temperature, humidity, battery voltage, and battery percentage as it retrieved it from the sensors. You just saw it increment. And then on the device itself, my software is setting up, is setting up the screen, you know, all sorts of fancy, right, uh, which is separate from the console. So the console, while it's plugged into your computer, is give, can give you all sorts of useful information. And if you look on the top here, there's a button that says save, right? So I can go into this code and where is my code? <laughs> where are you, Mew? Ah, there we go. I can go into this code and, you know, dig in here and make a change and then hit the save button and watch what happens to the uh, console output when I hit the save button. Okay. It says, hey, the code was stopped and I'm auto loading the code again and it starts running with now with the new changes I made. Super easy. So once I get this running the way I want, uh, besides the fact that I'm going to back up my software to another place, um, I just unplug the feather and it sits there running the code I wrote and that's, that's it. So that's what was going on this week and, um, and much, much happened. Um, so that was a long lead up to where we are right now. Uh, and if you have any questions, don't hesitate to put them in the chat either on, um, YouTube or discord. Uh, so uh, let me explain to you the way I wrote this program and, and I wrote this program in spurts. There's two important things to know that, that I, I wrote this during the week, you know, when I had a little time late at night, early in the morning, just, you know, hack the code a little bit. And the most important thing about having, about writing software is having friends that know how to write software. So on our Discord server, I received a lot of help, a lot of help from DBX, Daniel, and from uh, uh, Unix Carbide, Ike, and they helped me a ton. Because I'm new to Python, um, and uh, I was learning as I went. So uh, having a mentor... And having somebody that can help you through some of that stuff is huge. But also just hacking it. it, it this is very expensive, uh, very inexpensive to get into, especially if you're a machinist. This is going to sound ridiculous. But this this little uh, whole little setup that I have here is about uh, $48 for, uh, for one of those setups. And that's it. 
I, I didn't spend any money on, on the editor. I didn't spend any money on notify yet. I might. Um, and you're off and running. So I have developed this, uh, this software, which I'm currently calling hack RH, uh, for relative humidity. We're on version 0.8. Um, and let me tell you what it does. It lights up. And the first thing it does, oh, oh, no, before I show you, I want to explain one more thing. And this is super important. If you look at the, the top of this program, there's a whole bunch of things that say import, import, import. So it imports a bunch of chunks of what we call libraries. So import OS, import SSL, import time, import Wi-Fi import board. So people have gone before you and written libraries. And then if you import the library, you can just make calls to the library and you don't have to write that code. And this is, this is huge. Almost all the time I've been able to find the library on the Adafruit GitHub asterisk and look at the code and see how you're supposed to call it. Also, there's documentation that sometimes is hard to find, but you could find it and the documentation tells you how to use the library and you don't have to write all that code. So keep that in mind that the ability to run the Wi-Fi and get on the network, the ability to pull down network time, the ability to, um, talk to the SHT4X devices. All that stuff is has libraries associated with it. So it becomes pretty easy. That's another very important thing to understand. So this program, including all my comments, you know, how big is this thing? It's 316 lines long, including blank lines, comment lines, uh, etc. The other thing that's crucially important when you, when you decide you want to start hacking these things and should be uh, reassuring is there's all sorts of sample programs, uh, especially associated with the libraries. So somebody will they'll come out with a, a, a library called uh, SHT4X. Here, here's the, uh, if you're looking at the screen, import Adafruit underscore SHT4X. They wrote a whole library to talk to the sensor. Um, this is where we discovered the heater, by the way. So now all you got to do is call that, call that software, uh, call that library, and it just hands you the result from the sensor. You don't have to invent it. So it, it's really not as hard as you think you pull in all of these example programs and then you start picking chunks of the example programs and bring it into your program. I just described my development process. Hack RH. Uh, thank you, Chris. <laughs> Chris played bass for hack RH back in the eighties. Uh, yes, exactly right. Well, also there's a, there's a, a hardware device that I have called hack RF, 
So I think it was a little bit of an inspiration. So after you import all this stuff, um, there's a bunch of things going on. Uh, I started making logical uh, demarcations in the code so it's a little easier to understand. We set up the Wi-Fi connection. Uh, we set up the URL for fetching time data. And that's a topic for another day. Here's a little section of the code that's experimental that uses NTP protocol to get time data. Uh, and also the time from, uh, in this case, the time from the NTP um, uh, protocol sets the onboard real-time clock. So as soon as you fire up this program, it, it goes on the web, it synchronizes its clock, it knows the date and time, no problem. Um, this section of the code is where it starts setting up that screen. Now, I, I admit this was really trial and error because I based it on an Adafruit program that had a little clock. And studying that program is how I was able to figure out how to do my little display. So that's this whole section. And this is where you define fields of numbers, where they go, etc. Um, and this is sort of more of the same. And now we come to the section where it says set up for the SHT4X board. So this is where you set up communications to the board, a couple of lines of code, and then you just send it a command. In this case, it's SHT.mode equals Adafruit, blah, 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 uh, dot no heat high precision. So this is, this is asking for a reading using no heater in high precision mode, and that's it. You got the data. How hard is that? Um, you'll also see sprinkled throughout my code these print statements, and that's what's going to the console down here. So print the current mode is, blah. Here we set up the notifications uh, where I said, hey, I want a notification if the relative humidity goes above 55%. Of course, that could be anything we want. I here's a note. Here's the uh, notification I want if the temperature goes above eighty-five, and I want a battery notification if the battery drops below fifteen percent. So those are my those are my uh, thresholds. Um, here's setting up the the board for uh, battery monitoring. Again, this was a stolen chunk of code from Adafruit. It was the example code they give for uh, running the battery conditioning chip on the, uh, on the board. And then we initialize for the main loop and here's the main loop. So this is the loop where it, it's doing it every, uh, every uh, in my case, it's every 60 seconds. It wakes up, it, um, it prints the time. It checks. It checks the uh, the uh, temperature, humidity. It it prints it. Uh, it checks the revision. There's a tiny, tiny spot on my display where it shows you not only the revision of the code right under the P in KP, but it also shows you the ID of the unit. So you could set that as a variable. Uh, what else? Then there's the alarms. So it checks if, if 
you exceed the notifications, it's going to, uh, the limits, it's going to send an immediate notification. Otherwise, every 60 intervals, which in my case is 60 minutes, it's going to send a notification of just what the numbers are. And that's it. We're done. Oh, the other, the only other thing it does is down here, the very last thing is if you look very carefully at the display, I'm going to go back to the big display here so you could see what I'm talking about. Okay. If you watch, it's going to change the background is going to put a dot in the lower right corner every time it takes a reading. So that just tells you it's running. Now, unfortunately, I went to 60-second intervals, so we have to wait until that happens. But you'll notice that it's going to update the numbers, and it'll put a, a dot on the... There it is. There's the dot on the lower right of the screen. So that's how you know it actually updated and is running. And you can see under the P, it says uh, KP1, which is the unit we're holding, and this is 0.8, which is the software rev. So that whole screen, I was able to design after sufficient amount of hacking. <laughs> and that's it. So that's the whole, that, that's all the software. And almost every chunk of the software was lifted from example code and then modified. And then I wrote a little bit of logic in the main loop to do what I wanted. And I'm not done yet. I'm not, I'm not near done yet, but it's pretty exciting. Um, and also at, as a matter of, uh, style points at the top of my software, I'm going to show you the software one more time, is my list of things that I want to still make happen. And the list right now says, how do I implement deep sleep for current minimization? Um, we'll talk about that in a little more depth, how to power down the screen, how to power down the led on the SHT four X, the, the, the little sensor board has an LED on it, which we don't need. <laughs> and all it does is use power. So I have to figure out if there's a software way to turn off that LED on the sensor board, or do we remove the LED from the sensor board? Not sure. Get back to you on that. Um, I want to learn how to send uh, data packets to the Adafruit IO. That's their dashboard thing. Because you can, and we're going to figure out how to do it. And then, then we can continue using that nice feature. Um, I want to see if there's a unique serial number on the featherboard that we can access and use as an identification for the featherboard. We'll find out. And button functionality. So you'll notice there's three buttons on the board, on the front of the board, right next to the display. And I want to start using those buttons. For example, I want to I want to hit a button and have the thing go into super low power mode. Like I don't, I'm not going to be looking at your display anymore. I want you to minimize your power consumption. And I want to hit a button and have it come out of that and turn the display on. Um, I want to be able to manually force a heater cycle. So we talked about the heater on the sensor. And if I'm not sure the things are where they should be, I want to hit that thing and say, you know what, do a heater cycle for me and it'll do it, uh, based on manual intervention. And of course I want to enable and disable notifications. And you know, those are a few of the ideas for 
those buttons, the functionality on, uh, of those buttons. So that's coming. That's on my list. The most important thing is current minimization, battery current minimization. So right now with a one to 2000 milliamp hour battery, we're getting 18 to 20 hours of life in this loop. So the screen is on. The, the stupid LED on the sensor board is on. And we are doing one minute, um, one minute cycles. Uh, under those conditions, that thing will last 18 to 20 hours. That is not enough. Uh, it would be really nice if, if we can get it to last a month. So now we have a goal. So that's the... Uh, that's the major thing on top of the list right now is getting the, the uh, battery life improved. Now I've done a bunch of reading. Uh, there's good evidence that the deep sleep modes are there and I got to start implementing them and starting to make measurements uh, of how effective they are. And I'll report back, but that's the biggest problem because the processor on this board is is a beefy processor. It's, it's a serious processor. So no matter how you slice it, it's using a lot of current. Um, but there are features built in. Now, remember I, I said that there's a real time clock. So the real time clock is important because the deep sleep function literally says, go into a deep sleep state and wake up in, for example, an hour or two hours. And the real-time clock is one of the few things that sits there and just keeps running. So that's why the real-time clock is super important, is it, it not only knows the actual time once it syncs from, from the, uh, the internet and gets NTP time. Um, by the way, that stands for Network Time Protocol. It's a standard network protocol. Um, but it... You can literally give it a sleep time and that will be an accurate time that it will stay asleep. So in applications like what we're talking about, we, we might want to sleep for four hours. Like don't do anything for four hours and then wake up, make readings, do notifications if you have to, and then go back to sleep. That's going to save a whole bunch of battery. So that's, that's what we're working on. So these are, uh, these are the developments. Um, I think it's pretty exciting and hopeful, uh, in order to get us where we want to get to. Also, I don't think you're going to want to spend $48 per, uh, filament container. <laughs> so that's one of the other things we have to address is, you know, a feather board, a sensor board and a battery, uh, right now is kind of expensive. So if we could drive the current requirements down, we could, we could drive the battery requirements down, uh, and make that, you know, far less expensive. If we can get rid of, you know, eliminate the need for the display, which for development is really important. Um, that's another cost that we can eliminate out of the, out of the equation. Um, and that has been the focus of my discussions with my buddy, Doug. So we've been talking about how to get cost out of this thing. Tuck asks, uh, 
How fast does the humidity change for your enclosure? How quick of a check time do you really need? Six hours. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think six hours is probably fine. That's four tests a day. Um, so I think that's not unreasonable. Paul on your wavelength says, how often will you want it to turn on, take a reading and upload per day? It's up to you, right? When we, when we get there. But as far as I'm concerned, if you're in a, uh, storage container and you're just keeping an eye on the humidity in a storage container, maybe you can get away with once a day. Wouldn't that be nice? So you're all, you're all on the same wavelength with me. That's why the next thing is to figure out how to drive the current requirements down. So driving the current requirements down, driving the cost down, both very important and getting that little user interface, uh, useful, getting it, getting it. So it's a useful thing. Uh, Tuck says, I'm assuming you're trending what you're recording currently with your test setup. Um, trending. Well, I'm, I'm definitely, I've been experimenting with it and I have a feel for how long it takes to settle, you know, a container down physically. The, the sensor itself is a, like a, in a minute it's settled. Yeah. So, uh, that is something we can do. I haven't done that, uh, very extensively tuck. I have not charted a graph of humidity versus time, but that can be coming up. Uh, Unix carbide says driving up costs. What about a button for when you open the container or otherwise want to force a reading sooner than six hours? Funny. You should mention that <laughs> my last revision to the code was when it, when the code starts up, it immediately does a normal notification of the sensors, which is not the, the way I had it. Uh, so if, if you open the box and you wanted to force a reading, if you hit the reset button, it will wake up, resync, do a reading and send out a notification. So there is a way to say, give me a reading right now. And maybe we could modify that a little bit. Um, but yes, there's a, there's a way to do it. Let me show you my dry box right behind me. I've shown this uh, in pictures on Instagram. So there's my dry box. I've got two two canisters of desiccant in here, okay. And I've got the I've got the sensor sitting in there. And can you read the sensor? Let's see if you could read the sensor. The sensor says six point five percent relative humidity. So this is. Um, this is KP2, if you're following along at home. And this is the guy that uh, is, is showing us a pretty low number. So 6.5%. Now, I watched that number change, and it takes a good half hour to an hour after I open the box and close the box for that humidity to get to that kind of level. That is physically what's going on. In other words, the sensor is way faster than that. So it takes a while to settle back down to that low humidity number. Here's the thing. If I can hark back to our favorite $3 uh, 
hygrometers, we're reading 6% numbers and they're real. I mean, the difference, the difference between 6% and 7% is real. And the $3 hygrometers are completely incapable of this. Um, that is cool. Okay. That is huge kind of cool. Chris says, so how about one module and then run the bus out to each container with one of the humidity sensors in each? Yes. So that is, <laughs> there's a cost trade-off here. Um, I would like to not do that because I think physically it becomes complicated. Um, if if the processor was super expensive and then the, the sensors were cheaper, you would be driven to do that immediately, right? You'd want to have one processor because it's expensive and then just daisy chain a whole bunch of sensors. Um, I would like this thing to be just like a, a hockey puck, little hockey puck, and you throw it into the thing and it, it does its job. Um, but what you're suggesting is possible. Here's one uh, tripping point for that idea. The sensors, unfortunately, have a fixed address. Now, I don't know if Adafruit supports this, but the manufacturer ships it as being strapped to one of two addresses, 44 or 45. I think Adafruit is only selling the sensors that are strapped to 44. So you can't hang a string of the same type of sensor. That's a problem because they all have the same address. However, we found a, another little board that is what's called a multiplexer. So even if you have the same address on a bunch of devices for the I squared C bus, this thing will multiplex all those devices. Now you've just increased complexity. So it's a bit of a trade-off. I kind of don't want to go there. Um, but that's, you know, it's a good thought. In some situations, it's it's appropriate. I'm not sure I like it this way. Evils says, ESP32-S3 has an on-die temperature sensor. Most MCUs have one. They're just not very accurate. And touch sensing in case you need more buttons. Cool. Yes, I forgot about that. The, it does have touch sensing. So you could set up some of the pins for, for touch sensing. That's pretty cool. Uh, and I did not investigate an on-die temperature sensor, but I don't think it's going to help us because it's going to be hot. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be the, the, the die temperature, not an outside temperature. Um, plenty of, uh, evils goes on to say plenty of ESP32 S3 modules available for way lower cost using a, uh, an 18650 lithium cell question mark they're generally cheaper per milliwatt hour um, and then also he says incompatible with low cost but e-ink is nice for low power I totally agree with you on the e-ink um, Adafruit has some little e-ink displays I don't think for, for my project I don't think that's the driving force and the reason is I don't think I want to use the display very much. Like some applications I'll want to have a little display up. Maybe it's getting power from another source, but in the throw it in the bucket application, I don't want to display at all. I kind of want to head to the no display 
functionality. So we'll see. But um, again, you know, in, in any product development, this is, this is the, the 30,000 foot lesson here is in, in any product development, just do something, right? Get something sort of working. Uh, as, as I uh, tell my, my son, he hates it when I tell him this, I said, do just do a bad job, <laughs> do a fast, crappy job and then improve it. Um, so the fact that this project has achieved what it's achieved so far blows my mind. I mean, this is super cool. And then we're going to keep refining it. Um, also the code, eventually the code will be on GitHub and you'll be able to download it and, and mess with it. Um, I don't think I said it, but the STL files for my little development stand are on my links page. If you go to the links page and you follow the link that says the quest for dry filament right on that page, you will find the STL files for the stand. Um, there are two of them and you will also find the McMaster car links for the two and a half millimeter screws and the two millimeter screws. And so that's all available to you right now. Um, so almost asks a good question. Why are you running this with batteries? You have wall power. Um, the idea ultimately is of course, when I'm hooked up to the computer, it's not running on batteries, but the idea ultimately is to do this is to throw the unit into a container where it's extra work to puncture the container, to bring power into it. This could be any kind of container. Um, so that's the product goal is having a standalone battery operated thing. It's, it's one of the fundamental requirements of my project. But if you have an application where you have power and you just want to run on thing off power, no problem. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll work great. I want a battery operated long life thing. By the way, in my professional, uh, you know, antenna consulting life, this is, we do this all the time. I, I don't do it. I design the antennas for the things that do it. But uh, this is, you know, a battery-operated thing that's talking wirelessly to another thing is de rigueur. I do this all the time. Good questions. Excellent questions. So that's the update on the project. I think we hit everything. The really super cool thing is, um, you know, all of the libraries available. One of the things that I'm interested in and I play with is NTP, Network Time Protocol. I run an uh, I run an NTP server. If you guys want to use my time, which is not any better than anybody else's time, you can go to ntp.antenesis.net with your NTP client and it will pull time from my NTP server. Don't bother because you should be using a pool. And if you don't know what I mean, don't worry about it. Um, and this thing is, it's doing it right. Like it took three lines of code. It's amazing. So in summary, in conclusion, your honor, uh, we've done this little project and it's working. I mean, it's just, it hasn't taken a super ton of development. And I think the reason it's been successful are the availability of these little boards and 
all this, all the libraries and the GitHub and all that kind of stuff. So remember I said asterisk before when I mentioned GitHub. So Unix Carbide has volunteered to run a class in using GitHub. GitHub is a system for managing software releases and revisions. And uh, we plan on doing this sometime in the next few weeks. Notice how tight that planning is. Um, if you are interested in the GitHub thing, uh, please join our Discord server and send a message that says, hey, I'm interested in this, in the GitHub, you know, mini course. I will probably turn that into a video and we'll probably do a live with it. But really, uh, the best way to interact is going to be on Discord for that thing. It's just gonna, it's going to be like a Zoom class, except it's going to be on on Discord. Uh, and he, and Unix Carbide has taught me a ton about GitHub and how to use it. And it's a great way to use um, to keep track of your software development releases and to make it so that other people can download the software that you're working on and easily update their stuff as you issue updates. It's pretty neat and it's been around a long time and software guys live on this. Uh, but for me, it was, it was sort of new. Yeah, it is cool. CJ Stevens. Um, it's been, it's been a hoot. Well, we're at the top of the hour. I probably forgot 17 things, but I think I've given you a really good update on a really fun project. So keep an eye out. We'll, we'll be issuing, um, more information via Instagram and links on the links page, which is pfg.gg slash links. And this stuff, if you, if you go further deeper past that page, you'll find the link that says the quest for dry filament, follow that link and you'll find, uh, the details on our little development stand, which, you know, you can go make one of these. I think, um, I think, uh, uh, DBX has already reproduced one successfully and that's all there for you at no cost where there is a cost is when you buy your PFG stones, which you really should. If you're doing anything that's remotely flat, it's gotta be pretty flat. You need PFG stones. Go to pfgstones.com for more information. Uh, almost says this all leads to questioning the use of power over ethernet POE blew four raspberry Pi systems into the trash. Ow. Did you have a glitch? Um, yeah, th all of this stuff is on the Wi-Fi, and you know, it's not the most power efficient method of communicating, but it's there it's ubiquitous and half of the half of the equation you already have. <laughs> um, oh yeah. CJ Stevens reminds us hit that like button that costs you nothing. And subscribing on YouTube is a way to say that you're having a good time. Please subscribe and hit the like button. Paul says I built one of these ESP boards using deep sleep and installed it on my mailbox with a small micro switch 
to wake on door open and notify me on my network. Used an 1850 battery and got 30 days out of it. Super awesome. Uh, so there you go. There's an existence proof that the deep sleep functionality is, is going to help us out. So that's the next thing. Stay tuned. We'll start giving reports on the efficiency of deep sleep. And speaking of deep sleep, if I haven't put you to sleep, uh, I hope you have an awesome day and um, we'll see you guys next week with more information on the current projects, more information from the shop. And uh, after this is done, I got to get to work and make four inch stones or there's a few people that are going to come hunt me down. So from uh, Windham, New Hampshire, this has been PFG Live. Thanks, guys. Have yourself an awesome day, and we'll see you soon. Oh, and if you're on Discord, we're going to be in the Discord after-party show chat room while I get my act together. Take care. Have a great week. And uh, whatever you do, no matter what happens, don't get caught.